and we start the show with a buzzard attack. Buzzard writes in, Corey Coleman can't play X. He has to play flanker because he doesn't run a full wide receiver route tree anyway. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) It's really going to struggle running all those routes. So hard to learn those routes. He only knows a couple of them. I don't know how long it's going to take for him to learn the entire route tree. He might go his entire NFL career and never learn all those routes. There's so many of them, and they're so complicated. I don't know how Corey Coleman's ever going to learn all those routes. So hard to do. (laughs) What? (laughs) You really think he doesn't know how to run every route? That's just a stupefying bit of analysis. It's absurd. (laughs) When people say these things or write these things down, are they watching themselves as they write the words? Do they listen to themselves as they say these things and realize how ludicrous they sound? (laughs) Who is the person? We need to go back and find that first person to utter or write This preposterous statement that Corey Coleman doesn't know how to run a full route tree. (laughs) Can we just jettison this person out into outer space so they are never to be heard from again? I would love it for this person to continue to provide sports analysis in the vacuum of space where no one can hear them. Think about it for a second. That's all we ask you to do on the show. Hey, would you like to sit and think about this for a minute? That's that's all we ask. Hey, would you like to think? Well, let's think. So he's a professional receiver. And all the professional receivers do is work on the craft of being a receiver. And that means running routes and catching footballs. That's all they do. So, of course, a professional receiver who just scored 20 touchdowns at Baylor is going to know how to run every single route in the West Coast offense because, of course, he does. All these guys do is work on their craft. You just didn't happen to see a particular shot-breaking route on YouTube because you were watching a highlight clip. And he was running a post-corner route, which is infinitely more difficult than a dig or an out route. He's running the plays that are called. They don't play football games as an exhibition to show you the full route tree. That's not the purpose of playing a football game to exhibit the wide receiver route trees. Their goal is to score touchdowns. That's the goal of the offense. And Corey Coleman was particularly good at that. He scored 20 of them. And yes, a bunch of them happened to come on the same route because he just happens to run some deep routes really, really well. And yes, those were 20-yard routes that you saw. This idea that he can only catch short passes is also (laughs) fiction. It's fiction. It's this fairy tale that NFL draft analysts tell their children when they go to bed that Corey Coleman doesn't run a full route tree, that he can only operate close to the line of scrimmage. And then they say that on the NFL draft broadcast, and then they run a highlight clip of Corey Coleman 
only running deep routes 20 yards or more and scoring a touchdown every single time. So while that highlight clip is running, him running different routes or different versions of the same route, the analyst is offering a voiceover completely contradicting what we're watching. It's just bizarre. Sometimes NFL analysis is just bizarre. You have to sit back and say, this is just weird. Like This is weird. The analysis of Corey Coleman is particularly weird to me. This assumption that he doesn't know how to run certain routes. It's just asinine if you think about it for a minute. <laughs> and all that said, the X receiver route tree is more challenging and diverse than the Z receiver route tree. That is also a fact. And it's also a fact that Corey Coleman is not as polished as Odell Beckham Jr. was coming out of college. So if we're setting the bar at Odell Beckham Jr., yes, Corey Coleman doesn't run all the routes as well as Odell Beckham Jr. coming out of college. And, okay, so, so it might make sense to deploy Corey Coleman at flanker in his rookie season in a position where you can get him the ball into his hands quickly and he can maximize his yards after the catch because I think everyone would agree there is one thing that Corey Coleman does better than any other receiver in this draft class, and that is compiling yards after the catch. I think he does everything well, but I think everyone would agree, even his critics, that he's a yak monster at the next level because he was a yak monster at Baylor. But because Corey Coleman is going to the Browns, the Browns have a depth chart completely devoid of wide receiver talent. He immediately will be installed as the number one wide receiver. And whether it's predominantly at flanker or predominantly at split end, I don't think it really matters either way because the Browns passing attack, I believe, will revolve around getting the ball in Corey Coleman's hands and therefore he will exceed 120 pass targets and 1,000 yards as a rookie. If anyone can have an Odell Beckham Jr.-like rookie season, it is Corey Coleman. Which takes us to our next buzzard. Where does Sterling Shepard fit into the Giants offense? And I like the Corey Coleman-Sterling Shepard dichotomy because Sterling Shepard is the anti-Corey Coleman in a number of ways. The NFL draft analysts contend that Sterling Shepard is the best route runner in this class and that Corey Coleman's greatest weakness is route running. So what does that mean for Sterling Shepard at the NFL level? Well, I don't have a clear picture as to what position Sterling Shepard will play in the Giants offense. I know what I know and I know what I don't know. This I don't know. I have no idea what the Giants are going to end up doing with Sterling Shepard because Odell Beckham Jr. is sitting in that number one wide receiver chair and he's not going anywhere. And Victor Cruz is coming back. And all reports are that he's going to come back healthy at age 29. A wide receiver one in fantasy once upon a time has yet to reach the 30-year-old threshold. So they have Victor Cruz and they have Odell Beckham Jr. So where does that put Sterling Shepard on the target totem pole in the wide receiver configuration in the passing game? I don't know for sure. I just don't know because he's a stretch to post up at the stretch X position. I mean, he stretches to the outer limits of plausibility projecting him at X. But he does have a great burst score. 
one thing that you can't dispute about Sterling Shepard on his profile. I mean, there are a lot of unanswered questions about Sterling Shepard in my mind, but there's one thing beyond dispute. He has great burst. 131.2, 89th percentile burst score on playerprofiler.com. His closest comparable player that is currently on an NFL roster is Albert Wilson in Kansas City, and Albert Wilson plays the stretch X position. He doesn't play it particularly well. He's not productive. No one is starting Albert Wilson. No one who's starting Albert Wilson on any given week is excited about it, right? Just like if I was starting Sterling Shepard in fantasy, I wouldn't be excited about it because he is very much a stretch at the stretch X position. And you have to assume they're going to play Victor Cruz in the slot. Also, I don't think Sterling Shepard profiles as a successful slot receiver in the NFL because he only has a 1135 30th percentile agility score. Most of the successful slot receivers in the NFL, from Julian Edelman to Doug Baldwin, have upper percentile agility scores, and Sterling Shepard definitely lacks agility according to the measurements. I mean, you can say he's agile based on the film, but you can't measure that. In the ways we measure athleticism, he's not agile, period. So what does that mean? It means that flanker is the only position he can reasonably play on an every down basis. The problem is he does not comp to any successful NFL flankers. And you could say, well, you could play him at X. And you can't play him at X. That's Odell Beckham Jr.'s position. And Sterling Shepard does comp to a successful X receiver of the past, not a current player, Santonio Holmes. Santonio Holmes did play some X when called upon and played some flanker. But Santonio Holmes hasn't been in the league for a while. Ideally, you'd like your player to comp to a successful NFL wide receiver. And the fact that Sterling Shepard's profile, his stature, his athleticism, and his college production comp to no successful NFL wide receivers, that to me is a problem. That to me is a red flag. Oh, Corey Coleman's hands are a red flag. Get out of here with his hands. That's not a red flag. You're focusing on the wrong sorts of details if you're focusing on Corey Coleman's drops. From Derrick Henry to Corey Coleman to Josh Doxson's age, there's all these false red flags that people keep waving around. And yet, the one major red flag, the most significant red flag of all, is the red flag on Sterling Shepard's profile that he comps to no one good in the NFL! That, to me, is the real red flag of the red flags of this rookie class! <laughs> what? And yet, I am the only person on the planet that is talking about this. <laughs> Just, it's crazy! But I do believe that Sterling Shepard can play flanker because he's big enough to run block adequately in two receiver sets. I think he is. I think at 5'10", 194, he only needs to add five more pounds of muscle to be 5'10", 200. And 5'10", 200 is the stature of a successful NFL flanker. And we like our NFL flankers to have girth and burst and good hands. And that's Sterling Shepard. So he does profile as a successful NFL flanker. I don't think it'll happen in year one because of the presence of Victor Cruz and Odell Beckham Jr. But down the road, you can see Sterling Shepard being a WR2 in fantasy out of the flanker position as a complimentary receiver to Odell Beckham Jr. And that's fine. But that's not top five wide receiver in dynasty rookie drafts fine. I mean, football's just weird. This reliance on film and this desire to give players credit, especially older players, to give older players credit for things that older players should just do. That is unique to football scouting. 
Because in baseball, in basketball, those sports are becoming much more analytical. In basketball, if you're a prolific senior, you're Shabazz Napier, you're Shane Larkin. You project as a role player, a complementary player at the next level, not a lottery pick in the NBA. But in football, a guy with a career that is uninterrupted by injury or transferring schools can't crack a thousand yards until his senior season. That's Sterling Shepard. And Sterling Shepard is a top five talent at the position? He's not. That's just weird. It's weird that the NFL is the only sport that doesn't discount production your senior year the way the other sports do. Very weird. Why? Because scouts love Sterling Shepard's polished route running. Yes, he's a polished route runner because of course he is. Three years of uninterrupted development will make you look like a polished route runner against defensive backs who are two, three, and four years younger than you. Would it not? How could it not? And by consensus, do you know which wide receiver was considered a top five route runner at the beginning of last season? Name the NFL player. Can you? I'm going to give you the answer, but if you want to live tweet or live email us, you can email us rotounderworld at gmail.com or tweet us at rotounderworld. The answer is Reggie Wayne. No one would dispute that Reggie Wayne was a top five route runner on the Patriots at the beginning of the 2015 season. And? 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 And what? And what? And what? Route running is overrated. That's what. That's why we pay attention to... Size-adjusted athleticism and age-adjusted college dominance on this program. And Sterling Shepard has neither on his resume. That's why we had Kiaris Garrett rated ahead of Sterling Shepard, and Kiaris Garrett went undrafted in a vacuum. I believe Kiaris Garrett is a better prospect than Sterling Shepard. Still do. But of course, on our player rankings, you can see our updated rookie rankings at playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Of course, Sterling Shepard is now ahead of Kiaris Garrett because Kiaris Garrett went undrafted. And so the Carolina Panthers have no incentive to give Kiaris Garrett opportunity in year one, whereas the New York Giants overdrafted Sterling Shepard, and they will necessarily give him significant opportunity in his rookie year. And that alone is enough reason to move Sterling Shepard ahead of Kiaris Garrett on our rookie rankings. Sterling Shepard moved into the top 10. Kiaris Garrett moved out of the top 10 post-draft. You go to the website and check out our post-draft rookie rankings and see where everyone slots in. But again, in terms of the things that we like to measure that predict success in the NFL, all indications are that Sterling Shepard will be an ordinary professional receiver. And this Sunday, I was proud to go on the Rotoballer radio show on Sirius XM. This was my maiden voyage on Sirius XM live radio. So it was exciting. I was a little nervous. And what I did was I just pretended I was an action hero in the minutes leading up to going on air. I said, I'm a take action hero. I've got five guns strapped to my back. I'm about to walk into an abandoned building where I know there are bad guys waiting for me. It's dusk. There's dust in the air. And I'm kicking open the door. And I'm grabbing the guns from my back. And I'm just boom, 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 Just taking everybody out with takes. The Take Action Hero on Sirius XM, Rotorballer Radio, 5 to 7. I will ideally be going on regularly during the season. So I'm excited about that. And the host was mocking me for being so strident in my dismissiveness of Sterling Shepard. And I'm like, do you know who I am? Do you know who you were inviting on your show? 
Man, why did you invite me on your show if you didn't want strident opinions? If you want enthusiasm and strong opinions, you invite Matt Kelly on your radio program. That's it. Everybody knows that. So don't have me on your show if you don't want me to come in and just start killing fools. Maybe you want someone to come on your show and vacillate and hedge and say a bunch of nothing. But that's not me. I love to give takes. I am infused with raging fantasy takeitude. That's why I have four fantasy podcasts. So I can get out my takes. But there is a hot take that I keep seeing that completely confounds me. This contrarian position that people are taking. That Andrew Luck isn't a top tier quarterback. Like, I mean, I love hot takes. I love to give hot takes. I love to spew hot takes. I am an unattended garden hose of takes. But I'm not saying Andrew Luck's not a top tier quarterback. Who would say that? The answer is plenty of people would say that. And I'm like, what? Andrew Luck is one of the best prospects we've ever seen. And no one would dispute that. We know this because anytime someone like Mike Mayock says Carson Wentz has Andrew Luck's ceiling, everybody is outraged. He will never be Andrew Luck. You can't say he's going to be Andrew Luck. You're insane, Mike Mayock. Delete your account, Mike Mayock. And I'm like, wait a second, which one is it? You just get done saying Andrew Luck was overrated. So Mike Mayock's comparing Carson Wentz to an overrated quarterback? So what? Big deal. People love to cape up for Andrew Luck, the prospect, and then deride Andrew Luck, the professional quarterback. And I just find this weird because if we know anything about the Colts, it's that Ryan Grigson does a poor job surrounding Andrew Luck with the necessary talent to win football games and be an efficient player. I mean, we know this to be the case. Ryan Grigson is the worst. And the only reason he has a job today is because of Andrew Luck. Because Andrew Luck is great. Andrew Luck's greatness is responsible for the employment of tens, if not hundreds of individuals in Indianapolis. And yet there's question marks about whether or not Andrew Luck is great. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes, he is. Andrew Luck is great. I mean, just look at his prospect profile. <laughs> he has one of the best college QBRs ever. He's in the top five all-time college QBR. And he checks every single box on the QB scouting profile. I mean, in the history of QB scouting profiles, he's the first and only quarterback to checkmark everybody's box on everybody's clipboard. Quick decision-making, quick release, work ethic, leadership qualities, tactical scrambler, keeps his eyes downfield, uses his eyes to move defenders, courage in the pocket, accuracy on the run, downfield accuracy. Check, 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 Andrew Luck, yes. Andrew Luck is like a computer program that's just stuck on the check mark. Check, 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 down the screen. That's the Andrew Luck evaluation. He's great. Because after being one of the best college prospects we've ever seen at the position, he goes to Indianapolis and posts a 67.4 QBR as a rookie, despite being sacked 41 times because Ryan Grigson steadfastly refuses to draft him high-quality offensive linemen because Ryan Grigson is an awful general manager. That year, the rookie season, Andrew Luck's rookie season, in which he posted a 67.4 QBR, one of his starting receivers was Donnie Avery. Donnie Avery started 16 games that season. Let that sink in. 
In that context, Andrew Luck's rookie season was better than Cam Newton's rookie season and better than Robert Griffin III's rookie season. And then Andrew Luck followed that up by having the best fantasy season by a 25-year-old we've ever seen at any position. No one has ever had more fantasy points at age 25 than Andrew Luck in the history of fantasy football. And yet there's a debate about whether or not he's good or bad? <laughs> what?! All of that with minimal supporting weaponry, without a traditional X receiver, with a 36-year-old Reggie Wayne and a washed-up Hakeem Nix. He threw for 40 touchdowns. Are you fucking kidding me? Andrew Luck is a sublime quarterback. He's everything you want at the position. And this false contrarianism reaching for the hot take. Let's take the guy who everybody knows is great and find a way to criticize him. Yes, the contrived hot take. The contrived contrarian hot take. See that all the time now. And the criticism of Andrew Luck exemplifies that the best. <laughs> Even last year, his supporting cast was gross. One of the worst offensive lines in the league and a starting receiver that couldn't separate. The corpse of Andre Johnson was starting on the outside and edge rushers were salivating at the idea of sacking Andrew Luck against a porous pass-blocking offensive line. And then what happened? He got hurt because of course he's going to get hurt in that situation. <laughs> I have strident opinions, but my opinions are not contrived contrarian positions. I like to support my positions with real evidence, specifically advanced metrics on playerprofiler.com, and common sense. And this idea that Andrew Luck isn't one of the top quarterback talents in the NFL is simply provocative, lacks common sense, because it's obviously false. So why say it? You can say anything else about any football player. Just don't say Andrew Luck stinks. Don't say Andrew Luck's not a great quarterback talent. Because he is. He is. And what's even more amusing is the most overrated player on the Colts offense is the one who's rising on the draft boards the most, and that's Dwayne Allen. Dwayne Allen, a player with 500 yards the last three seasons. <laughs> In the one year that Dwayne Allen started all 16 games, he capped out at 500 yards and three touchdowns. If anyone is going to get the least from his opportunity, it is Dwayne Allen. I should create a nickname for Dwayne Allen, the Great Minimizer. How to get the least out of the most. And I'm talking about opportunity as the starting tight end on an Andrew Luck offense. 500 yards and three touchdowns. Why is that? Well, because he wasn't particularly productive in college. He didn't even reach the 20% college dominator threshold. College yards per reception, 12.0. Breakout age in college, 21.5, 39th percentile. Runs a 4.940. Has no burst, a tiny catch radius, and average agility. His best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is none other than Mikel Rivera, and that's a close comparison because he is Mikel Rivera. And yet so many generic fantasy analysts are touting Dwayne Allen as a sleeper, as your late-round tight end target du jour. And I'm sitting here going, what? 
He's the guy. There's not one shred of evidence on the Dwayne Allen profile that he's a good player in the passing game. He may very well be a good blocker, and that's fine. There's a role for good run-blocking tight ends in the NFL, but not in fantasy. This is a fantasy football discussion, and I don't see how Dwayne Allen could justify a top 12 tight end ADP. It's absurd. But this is what Ryan Grigson does. He forgoes good players for bad players. Exhibit A, keeps Dwayne Allen, lets Kobe Fleener go. And I like Kobe Fleener in a vacuum better than Dwayne Allen. So if I had to choose, if I was an NFL general manager, I would choose Kobe Fleener over Dwayne Allen. I don't think it's close, and yet Ryan Grigson made the opposite decision. This is why I believe Ryan Grigson's not a good general manager. Just another example of Ryan Grigson not being a good general manager. And I especially love Kobe Fleener on New Orleans. However, I loved Fleener more before the Saints drafted Michael Thomas. As I mentioned to Nathan Powell on the Roto Baller Football Podcast, which is available on this Roto Underworld stereo feed on iTunes and Stitcher and Podbean and now Google Play, you have access to the Roto Baller Football Podcast with myself and Nathan Powell. It's simulcast on the Roto Underworld stereo feed. It's not simulcast on the Roto Underworld underground feed. So if you're getting the feed from Blog Talk Radio, you're not getting the Roto Baller football show that I do on Sundays. So I would suggest turning off the Underworld feed and turning on the stereo feed so you can get all of the content right to your mobile device. Now, I liked Kobe Fleener more pre-draft than I do post-draft. Before the draft, Kobe Fleener was in my top five redraft tight ends for 2016, but no longer. Because good Michael Thomas threatens everyone's targets on the Saints. When the team drafts a wide receiver in the first or second round, he necessarily throttles everyone's targets because those targets have to come from somewhere. But he threatens Fleener's opportunity more than any other, more than Willie Sneed, more than Brandon Cooks. Because Michael Thomas has the athletic profile of a big slot receiver, not an outside receiver. So he'll be getting targets over the middle and in the red zone. He's now, by far and away, the biggest wide receiver who's going to be getting significant snaps on the Saints because it won't be Brandon Coleman. Brandon Coleman is a scarecrow. We broke that news on this show last year. Brandon Coleman is a scarecrow. And Michael Thomas will be playing a lot of slot in 2016, and he will be a frequent target in the red zone. Red zone fades. Back of the end zone. Those are routes that I expected Kobe Fleener to run, and then they drafted a 6'3 wide receiver in the second round, and so now many of those red zone targets will shift from Kobe Fleener to Michael Thomas. And that will necessarily throttle Kobe Fleener's fantasy output in 2016. So I can no longer justify slotting Kobe Fleener in my top five tight ends in 2016. And I wrote an article on playerprofiler.com recently. Go check it out, playerprofiler.com forward slash articles, where I apologized to just Michael Thomas. That's his new name, just Michael Thomas. It was Michael Thomas. Then I named him Bad Michael Thomas. Now I've renamed him Just Michael Thomas. In my article, I apologize for ever calling him Bad Michael Thomas because it was originally a joke meant to highlight how underrated the good Michael Thomas from Southern Mississippi was. I also got a chuckle out of the whole Bad Michael Thomas label phenomenon because you don't normally hear me just call players flatly bad. 
It's also hard to criticize Andrew Luck in this oversimplified fantasy analysis world that we live in, where fantasy podcasters are just now distilling their opinions down to, this player is good, this player is bad. You see this all the time. And it makes it tricky when you're analyzing Andrew Luck because some people don't want to flatly call him good, and it's really hard to call him bad. I don't think anyone with a straight face could call him bad. The fantasy podcasters who just like to label players as good or bad, Andrew Luck puts them in a difficult position because it forces them to apply some nuance and a lot of fantasy podcasters are really bad at nuance and again you're seeing this more and more with this this player is good this player is bad he's just a good player that's a bad player good versus bad this good bad false dichotomy is a plague on fantasy sports coverage by lazy individuals who are being put in front of microphones without any insights to offer beyond the stat lines the only reason I started a show is because we launched playerprofiler.com and I felt like we had some advanced analysis to offer, some insights beyond the stat lines. That's why we started a podcast. And now I see a lot of podcasts being launched and the analysis boils down to this player is good, this player is bad. And any evidence, any nuance? No? Okay, thank you for that. Great show. You see this a lot now. Random guys who write a couple articles awkwardly thrust into a podcast host chair because there's this insatiable desire for more fantasy sports podcasts. More, give me more. Well, we have about 85 fantasy sports podcasts to choose from. We need more. We need 185. Now there's 1,085. Hey, did you write an article about fantasy sports? Great. Do you want to host a podcast? We are inundated with fantasy sports podcasts now. It may be the most competitive industry in the entire world. I mean, contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter. Email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. Is there a more competitive industry in the world than fantasy sports podcasts? I mean, I'm fortunate that our listen numbers and download numbers continue to go up across all my shows. So we're doing something right. We only strive to do two things. And I think those are the two things that are important. Either entertain the audience or inform them. Some shows we do more entertaining than informing. Other shows we do more informing than entertaining. But my goal is always to do one of the two, but ideally both. And a lot of shows I listen to do exactly none. I mean, the bar is now very low for fantasy sports podcasts that now the talk just boils down to, this is a good player and he's a bad player. Why do you like Thomas Rawls? Because he's a good player. Why don't you like Kristen Michael? Because he's a bad player. Okay, thank you. The obnoxiousness of the good player, bad player oversimplification is rivaled, however, by the hyper-exact full-season projections by guys like Mike Clay. Five minutes after being drafted, Corey Coleman's projection was posted on Twitter by Mike Clay. 71 receptions, 992 yards, and 4.2 touchdowns in 2016. That's what Corey Coleman is projected to do. <laughs> this is the other extreme of the good player, bad player. This is actually the more obnoxious extreme, the faux precision. I mean, we get it. You know how to use Excel, but don't hit me with 992 yards. It's just ridiculous. Just round up to 1,000, and it will actually enhance the credibility of the projection. No one cares about the eight yards. It's less than a fantasy point. You don't need to try so hard. The funny thing is that the exactness of the projection hides the fact that these kinds of projections are wholly unsophisticated. And you know that because they're released within five minutes of a player being drafted. I take a full week 
to make my dynasty rankings and update them after the draft because I apply a sophisticated prospect evaluation methodology and use my imagination, not just an Excel formula. And you can check out my updated dynasty rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Yeah, apply some nuance. Think critically. Yeah, we do that. In addition to having a sophisticated lifetime value formula powering the rankings, we apply all of those things. And that takes time. That goes beyond an Excel formula, calculating a projection out to the 100th decimal point. When you're applying some imagination and some thoughtfulness to your projection, that goes beyond just opening up Excel, typing in Corey Coleman, averaging the production for first round wide receivers, plugging him in as the number one wide receiver for the 2015 Browns offense with normalized game flow, just porting over last year's production and opportunity, superimposing it onto 2016 and clicking go. Boom, there's your number, 992. But that's still better than good player, bad player analysis because most people don't have a projection model built in Excel. So that is something. I mean, Mike Clay is a sophisticated analyst. He's better than most. But these quick and dirty projections are exactly that. Quick and very, very dirty. Boom! Just taking everybody out with takes.